there, Spookies, and welcome back to the Appalachian Spooky Hour podcast, or just welcome if you're new around here. I'm Sam, your host, and tonight we're going to be talking about Penhurst Asylum. On our recent spooky road trip, we were lucky enough to get to spend three hours at Penhurst privately. Um, No other people there, just us our tour guide, and and it was a phenomenal experience. And I will talk about that a little bit later, but um, I want to talk first about just Penhurst itself, what it is, what it represents. So let's just dive right in. The place we now know as Penhurst Asylum first opened its doors in 1908 under the name the Eastern Pennsylvania State Institution for the Feeble-Minded and Epileptic. That's a mouthful, and it's terrible. It would go on to be called the Penhurst State School and Hospital. But it's important to understand that during this particular time in history, folks with disabilities of all types were considered unfavorable in society. So much so that in 1913, a commission for the care of the feeble-minded was created with the understanding that disabled people were unfit to be citizens and were menaces to society, more or less. They didn't want these people as part of the general, general population. The main goal here was to keep disabled people out of the general population and to stop them from mixing their genes into the gene pool with so-called normal people. The thought here was that, you know, we lock them away, we keep them from procreating, we will eventually weed out disabilities until they disappear altogether. We know now that isn't a thing. But back then, they didn't really understand that you didn't have to have a disabled parent or relative to be disabled yourself. They truly thought they could just breed out the bad blood, so to speak, and that would solve the problem of people no longer being born with intellectual or physical disabilities. Here is an actual quote from the chief physician of Penhurst, Henry Goddard. Every feeble-minded person is a potential criminal. The general public, although more convinced today than ever before that it is a good thing to segregate the idiot or the distinct imbecile, they have not as yet been convinced as to the proper treatment of the defective delinquent, which is the brighter and more dangerous individual. This is how they were treating people. Like, I really wish I could put this into better words, y'all. I really do. They were so hell-bent on the idea of eugenics and getting rid of these bad genes that they eventually built cottages to house the women separately from the men at Penhurst because they were that scared that patients would end up pregnant, thus spreading their undesirable genes. We are talking about everything from, like, autism, ADHD, Down syndrome, um, just mental deficiencies, you know, physical disabilities too. If you had 
like cerebral palsy or, or any kind of di- any kind of disability they saw you as unfit to be part of the world now it didn't take long for Penhurst to become overcrowded and for the situation to just grow absolutely dire there as early as 1968 and, and I realize it's kind of ridiculous to say as early as 1968 considering it had been open 60 years by this point but what needs to be understood here is after this happened, the place was open for almost another 20 years, hence the as early as 1968. The conditions of the place were already being exposed by this point. This includes a five-part expose on WCAU-TV led by a man named Bill Baldini. Like, this was a full-on expose of just the horrors and atrocities and mistreatment taking place at Penhurst. Nobody did anything about it. It was allowed to stay open. And just this, this maltreatment was allowed to continue. So you might be asking yourself, you know, just how bad was it? Guys, it was bad. Really, really bad. We're talking children kept in cages, sitting in their own excrement for days on end. Disabled adults kept in huge adult-sized cribs like they were infants. At one point, the facilities housed close to 3,000 patients, which was over 900 or so more than was comfortable to have on the site. Of those thousands of people, only around 200 were actually receiving any type of schooling or mental stimulation. The whole point of a state school was to help educate and teach skills to those who were kept there, but it wasn't happening. There just wasn't enough room or enough staff for the place to function as intended, if it had ever functioned that way to begin with. Penhurst was a bad place, where a lot of bad things happened, but out of this mess came some good. One particular case that helped change life for the disabled in America was the Youngberg versus Romeo case. This is something you may have heard of before, or you have likely seen photographs of some of this at some point. There's a young man named Nicholas Romeo who was born with an intellectual disability that left him with a very infantile IQ. And he was committed to Penhurst by his mother in the early 1980s. His father, who he was very close with, had passed away. And his mother simply couldn't handle her son on her own. She assumed that this was the best place he could be, trusting the state-run facility to give him, you know, the best care, the stimulation that he needed, you know, to take care of him in ways that she was not capable. What happened is that poor Nicholas was restrained for hours a day and suffered multiple repeated injuries. We're talking in a month of 30 days. If you added up all the time, Nicholas spent something like 18 days strapped to a chair. This was a landmark case for the Supreme Court, guys. They ruled that anyone who has been involuntarily committed, like Nicholas, that they had the rights to reasonably safe confinement conditions, no unreasonable body restraints, and reasonable habitation. More or less, this is why to this day, you can't just strap someone to a bed and leave them there for hours and days at a time. 
not legal. This all led up to the closing of Penhurst in 1986. Then the buildings just sat empty for years. Eventually it was bought and the process of rehabbing the property began. Some buildings had to be knocked down. They weren't salvageable. But some were saved and are now open to the public. It became an especially interesting place for ghost hunters. It isn't hard to imagine that a place like this that saw so much human suffering and death could be haunted. They do an actual haunted house there every Halloween season, but what we're talking about are the real, tangible spirits of those who were once housed at Penhurst and are now trapped there forever. It's honestly a horrible thing to imagine, but again, this is the type of place that really lends itself to a ghost story. The Quaker building, which we actually got to tour on our private tour, is reported to be one of the most haunted of all the buildings. A lot of reports of shadow figures, including one that appears to be a small child with long hair. Objects, such as doors, move on their own, and people sometimes get shoved or touched. There have also been a lot of EVPs recorded here of people crying out or asking for help. In yet another building, the apparition of a nurse has been seen by many, and in others, there have been voices heard, as well as more touches to investigators and objects being moved. Even the old infirmary, which we also got to tour, feels haunted. This was a building that was also used to house TB patients during a large outbreak that absolutely ravaged the campus. But, like, can you imagine being trapped in this place, locked up by your family, and then you get tuberculosis on top of this? Like... Hard to fathom. High-functioning patients at Penhurst were often offered jobs or opportunities that others weren't privy to. The rub here is that if they acted out or did something that made the staff angry, they were punished by being forced to work in more low-functioning wards. In some cases, these more high-functioning patients were just bullies who would do a number of terrible things to their more low-functioning victims, which sometimes resulted in injury or death. Again, is it hard to see why this place is more than likely very incredibly haunted? The imprint of suffering left upon this place is just impossible to ignore. At one point, dorm rooms that were meant to house just a few patients were packed with 70 to 80 people. And oftentimes there would be one CNA or nurse taking care of all these patients alone. Imagine how many people died there because of lack of attention or because there was nobody to notice they needed more help. I can't imagine the relief that was felt once Penhurst finally closed and the last remaining patients and staff were able to move on from this place. You know, we've seen this in other places, the, the patients getting work at the facility they're housed in. We saw this with Highland Hospital in a, in a recent episode. At what point did anybody think it was a great idea to have patients in charge of other patients? Especially in, in mental health facilities where people are in for all sorts of different things. 
being in a mental health facility doesn't make you incapable of being able to do work or hold a job. But why would you have patients, even high-functioning patients, taking care of other patients? The point of places like Penhurst was to teach, to give them skills, to try to make them more functional members of society, even though they didn't want them, you know, mingling with the general population, so to speak. That part makes no sense to me. And especially the fact that they would punish these people by having them take care of other people. That alone tells you how wrong it was. Just horrible, horrible, you guys. Like, our tour of Penhurst was absolutely incredible. And I sincerely mean that. Um, our tour guide was a younger guy. I wish I could remember his name. I feel so terrible that I don't remember. Um, but he was a young guy. And it was just interesting to, to hear him talk because he had a very personal sort of connection with Penhurst. He has a baby brother who has Down syndrome. And so, you know, disability rights is very important to him. And sharing the history of disability rights because of places like Penhurst. He just had so many wonderful things to say and so much information to share because he's very passionate about this. And he did tell us there are others that work there who have similar ties or had disabilities themselves. And even that they had a couple people who had previously worked there toward the end of when Penhurst was still running and functional. Getting to be there without other people was well worth it. Because we were able to see and experience so many parts of this place that you aren't really privy to with a large group of people. You know, we got to see um, the old hospital building, the infirmary. We got to go in the Quaker building, which they're working on cleaning up and getting open. We got to go in the basements. We got to go through some of the tunnels. But more than just seeing this place, you come to understand the scope of it. This was an enormous campus. But as enormous as it is, it still wasn't meant to become what it did. This was not a place meant to house 3,000 people. It just was never meant to be that. And when you're in these like dormitory rooms and you see the size of them, you're thinking, okay, this is a decent size. Probably could house 15 to 20 people comfortably, maybe. And then you find out they were stuffing 70 to 80 people in these quarters together. It's mind-boggling to imagine when you're standing there looking at it. I can't, I can't even put it into words, guys. Like it, It's heartbreaking to know that people went through this because they had a, a physical or mental disability. And their families, for the most part, really thought they were helping them. They thought they were sending them to this facility where they would learn life skills and be looked after and get three meals a day 
and get, you know, individualized attention that they needed. And that went out the window so fast. Just so fast, you guys. You know, you had 200 people out of a couple thousand getting education. And that's just, it's terrible. And most of them weren't taught even past a certain grade. Because why would you take the time to keep educating these people that you're calling names like imbecile? And, you know, that was a heartbreaking thing to hear, too. The way they labeled these people. You know, they brought them in, did intake. They were given an IQ test. Some of these people didn't know how to read and write. They'd never been taught. How can you take an IQ test when you can't even hold a pencil and write your name? And the whole thing was just ridiculous. And the the atrocities that happened there are just beyond belief. But we did get the American Disabilities Act out of this. We did get changes that were necessary and needed. But think about the fact that we didn't get those changes until things like Nicholas Romeo happened. And that was in 1982. It, it just... I think about the people that I know. You know, these beautiful, sweet, wonderful, differently abled people with Down syndrome or autism. And I try to imagine them locked in one of these places. And I try to imagine them locked in one of these places and it breaks my heart. Like, I'm tearing up right now just thinking about this because it was so unfair and so unjust. And all in the name of eugenics. Like, we don't like how you are. We don't like that you're different. So we're just going to lock you up until we breed your DNA out of the gene pool. I don't even know what else to say, guys. Like, And then, you know, Penhurst became this mecca for ghost hunters. And I can sit here right now and, you know, I didn't go on a ghost hunt there. We didn't do any of that stuff. We were strictly there to learn the history and to see this place. But I can still tell you with confidence. If there is a place in the United States, in the world, that could be haunted, it is absolutely going to be a place like Penhurst. Like I said before, the suffering there, unimaginable. The pain, just the just the atrocities of what was done to people by other people. How can that exist and not leave something behind? And there were times we were in these buildings and it's just palpable in the air. The vibe shifts. It's different. And you can feel it. And, you know, we weren't doing anything scary, but you just sometimes would walk into parts of these buildings and it would just smack you in the face. The energy would just hit you. And that's not just me blowing smoke, guys. Like, I, I genuinely mean that. Like, there were just parts of this place that just sent a chill down your spine. Even though we're not even talking about haunts and ghosts and things while we're there. It's still with you. Like, somebody's looking over your shoulder. And maybe they are. Because they have every right to not want you there. 
after how bad they were treated when they were alive, why do they want you there bothering them in their death? Leave them alone. I just, it, I really mean it, guys. It was incredible, and the work they're doing at Penhurst is incredible. They have the haunted house there. It's a big draw, and I'm sure it's a big part of how they make money. But if you get the chance to go, go. I say this with all sincerity. If you are at all interested in history, if you're interested in architecture, if you're interested in how things changed for the better for the disabled in America, there's so much more here than just the the ghost stories and the lore. I promise you. I have no regrets that we spent three hours there. It was three just absolutely fantastic hours learning about history, learning things none of us knew. And I think we surprised our tour guide a little bit too because we were engaging him, you know, bringing up personal stories, talking about things we knew from other places we had been. And it was just great because it didn't feel like he was tasked with just taking us from building to building. He was very interested in telling us about the place, interested in what we had to say, our thoughts. And we were likewise just as interested in hearing what he had to say. The camaraderie was great. And you can tell the people there care. You know, they care about this place. They care about the history. They care about the people who suffered there and the people who went on to tell their stories. Um, if you are interested in Penhurst and you can't visit, um, Suffer the Children is a hard documentary to watch, but a very important one that really highlights a lot of what happened there. Um, there's also, I know a lot of Ghost Hunter television shows. I, I know um, Ghost Hunters was there at one point. Not sure about Ghost Adventures. I'm sure you can find tons of videos about the history of Penhurst, about you know ghost hunts and everything on YouTube. Look into it. Like, read up on it yourself. Like, there's so much more to say. But I don't want to just talk your ear off about my own personal thoughts for an hour. But um, is Penhurst haunted? Oh, yeah. I didn't have to do a ghost hunt to know that. Just being there was enough. So, uh, yeah, guys, look into it. And if you get the chance to go, absolutely do it. Worth every penny you will pay. I promise you that. So that's all for this one, Spookies. Hopefully it wasn't too depressing this evening, but I really wanted to share about this place. And it is very on the fringe of Appalachia. It's about an hour or so outside of Philadelphia, but it's it's right there on the fringe. And, you know, we have other places in Appalachia like this one, like Trans-Allegheny, Waverly Hills, these places that did both bad and good. So, um, yeah, do yourself a favor, look it up. And until next time, remember, don't. Go outside alone after dark.